My mother and I didn't sing. We would scream our favorite song. She made me at a rock show. After she thrashed around a mosh pit with a boy who was wearing eyeliner. He never loved her or me. When I was seven, she told me, Lacey, your dad's a fag. Today, I wish he was gay. Then we would have something in common. I would hold hands with him at the Denver Pride Parade on Father's Day. Instead, he is a grain man working construction, doing drugs in his sister's basement after dark. I seen him on the street once, but we both kept walking. Silently, I was screaming my favorite song. Welcome to Horror Pod, you sweet little love muffins of joy and pain and sex and sparkles. I'm here with one of my favorite magical beings. We haven't had the dwarf talk yet. Dwarf, <laughs> magical dwarfs. So he's giving me really weird looks right now. So. I don't know if you know this, but I don't believe any, I feel like there's very few actual humans on the planet. And I feel like there's gods walking on the planet, like gods that we've learned about in mythology who are sort of stepping into that role right now and self-actualizing and really realizing the God they are and embodying it. I think there's angels who are trapped in human bodies, gods trapped in human bodies, aliens trapped in human bodies, like elves in human bodies, and dwarves. So we have a book that helps people figure out like what their magical heritage is. And basically we found out I would come from dwarves and elves. Or no, hobbits. I come from hobbits and dwarves. Unfortunately, the dwarves are like stocky and they work with metal. Doesn't our family work with metal? Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> like steel workers. And the women have beards, unfortunately, and red hair. <laughs> <laughs> They're not hot at all. And unfortunately, that's one of the magical beings I am. That we are, because we're related. And on different dimensions, you have different magical identities. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, yeah. 
And everyone always used to call Nanny or Grandma a hobbit. Oh, yeah. And I feel like, so we come from like half of our side is hobbits and half of them is like these steel husky dwarves. Do you think you're magical at all? I keep seeing myself as a smurf. (laughs) Just because I have blue hair right now. (laughs) You're currently wearing all blue and have... (laughs) Smurf vibes. Dyed blue hair blue hair so every time people meet you they talk about your hair and how you dye it and it's like a different color every week sometimes a couple different colors in a week why do you dye your hair all the time um it kind of started with a form of creative expression kind of growing up where we grew up um there wasn't like a whole lot of like support for the LGBT community, which I'm a member of. And um, so I kind of thought of it as a way to kind of express a different side of myself that people weren't used to seeing. Yeah. Well, everything about you is unique. You exude (laughs) uniqueness since the time you were very little. Did I explain you're my brother? Well, it's not news to me, but it might be to the audience. <laughs> um, I remember you explaining really eloquently that you dyed your hair because other people could be really crazy with their fashion. Other people can wear like wild boots and you felt like you might not have had control over every part of your body, but you had control of your hair. Yeah, I think that's definitely something to consider. So, um, I am disabled and like four foot tall, so, um, and a little bit larger. Um, so it's really hard to find like, oh, a really cool shirt that might fit me or really cool jeans or shoes. Um, just because, uh, my anatomy is so much different, um, than the average person. So when I was growing up and, as a teenager, it, it was one way that I could just pull, have full control over and uh, uh, be creative with my myself and my, my own style. Yeah, and you were so fucking brave with it. We were We were wild kids, and we were wild in the way that we didn't get in trouble. Did we? Have you ever been in trouble? I mean, I got in a little trouble, but not like actual trouble from authority. Um... No, I don't really remember being in trouble, if anything. I remember them, like, our grandparents who raised us um, to maybe, like, be be upset for a day or two, say we're grounded, and then never really follow through with it. Yeah, and just to clarify, we were removed from Child Protective Services when I was 12 and you were 10, And then we went with our grandparents um, after we were declared orphans, ward of the state. And our grandparents were already really old, right? So they were kind of running businesses and just kind of like, don't get pregnant, go to school. (laughs) And if we followed that, it was fine. I remember when I was little, I read the book Maniac McGee. And he lived in the house of the two toasters. And he had some like trauma around feeling like he lived somewhere where there was two toasters, meaning everyone got up and went to their own toaster 
to get their own breakfast and then went back in their own room and ate their breakfast and then went to their own jobs and then came home and went to their own rooms with their own TVs. And it was kind of this thing of like an isolation box in a house for me anyways. And it didn't feel like we always like could integrate with them or even come together. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I would be in my own room door shut usually locked Lacey would also would be across the hall from me kind of be doing our own thing she was two years older than me and then our grandparents had um separate rooms on actually separate sides of our our house (laughs) um with like a big sliding glass door and it it was very separate separated yeah And I kind of liked it, honestly, in a way, because I did not want adults telling me what the fuck to do, nor did I just like want, like, we grew up not having real parents our whole life and not really being like taught anything or taken care of or anything around that. So it would have been so weird if we would have entered a house and they were like, where's your homework, you know? Yeah, it was it was very um, live your own separate life. Yeah, it was very much we became adults then. I remember you having like uh, fairly large get togethers with your um, <laughs> middle school and high school friends partying all night and blasting various <laughs> loud music. I, like, have no idea. Without any repercussions, I might add. (laughs) Without any repercussions, but they just acted like they didn't hear it. Like, I don't get it. And it was so loud, like... I would sneak, like, six to seven to twelve people in my bedroom. Dudes. Yeah, and we were, like, between the ages of, like, 13 to... (laughs) I guess 17, 18. Yeah. And there would be guys. I remember at one point and like our grandma would just like, I don't know if she's just hard of hearing at night, but I swear to fucking God, sometimes I would be throwing house parties in my bedroom that was just down the hall from hers in a very small house, I might add. And an old house. So it didn't have like (laughs) the best insulation or... Anything. Yeah. I think it was metal, so a lot of things echoed. Yeah. And yeah, you would just have like these giant ragers. Like <laughs> I feel like sometimes it was even on school nights. You would call them like sleepovers, the door locked, music blaring. I'm sure it, at times drinking was involved. And yeah. sometimes um Nanny, <laughs> our grandmother, would like come out and be like, Can you keep it down? I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's like a frat house right in this little corner of this house. (laughs) That's hilarious. I remember one time I went in the bathroom and I almost said his full name. Um, We'll call him Mikey (laughs) was in the bathroom and he had just like lines of coke (laughs) on the toilet in my grandma's bathroom that she could just like go up and go to the bathroom yeah this is all news to me so (laughs) give me a minute to process this please jordan's really scared of me doing hard drugs i've never tried coke um just because we are so aware and have been living in the awareness since we were tiny 
um, that our mom is an addict and that our dad is an addict. So we've kind of like policed each other in a way. I know policed is not a great word, but and sometimes it has been sort of that police uh, judging energy. <laughs> um, yeah. About us doing, you, you're very scared of me doing drugs, right? Yeah. And also, I was very worried about that. And then, um, obviously, as you got older, I knew you were, you know, having drinks with your friends and stuff like that. And then I became a freshman in high school. And I was, like, hanging out with, like, these, like, really popular senior guys chewing tobacco on my lunch breaks. And you found out because everyone, like, I was bragging about it, but you were also in the same high school. And you were, like, really trying to take care of me. And um, you found out I was chewing tobacco with, like, these senior jocks. And I just remember you getting so angry with me. I don't even remember that. What did I do? You just like confronted me in the in the school, like told me like how awful this is and how awful this crowd is. And <laughs> I was like, they're just... As I'm having ravers yeah. in the bedroom. Yeah. But I thought I was your parent. And like one of them I knew from like this church we were forced to go to. And, like, I he, thought he, he was, like, to fairly to good looking. So I was like, oh, well, <laughs> you know, he's, like, pretty hot. So I'll just hang out with him. And Man, I, I had people doing blow off the toilet of our grandma's house. And I was Meanwhile, terrified. I'm just trying to get a dip of Copenhagen <laughs> at 14, you know. Like, oh, I'm so buzzed. <laughs> I mean, I did feel a huge responsibility our whole lives to be a good parent to you. Yeah, and you definitely have been, like, one of the biggest mother figures of in my entire life ever since. I mean, as long as I can remember. Um, you protecting me um, to you, like, making um, homemade lunches. So, you know, because, you know, I didn't have, like, money for lunch at school. To, you know, just making sure that I was happy and protected even at a young age. Yeah, it was a lot. I remember you being little and me just carrying you everywhere. Because when you were really little, you got sick when you were six months old. And then when you were really little, our parents were teenagers and they were super fucking poor when they had us. And then you were six months old when we you got meningitis. You have skin grafts over 80% of your body. And, and I'm also wheelchair bound. And you're wheelchair so I don't I don't walk, but growing up and like kind of learning my abilities, I've never really had the full ability to walk. Um, I think I had like a wagon for a little bit and I think kind of like my disability was like kind of ignored or like, oh, it's it's gonna be fine, he's gonna be normal, but actually didn't really have the ability to get around independently um growing up as a child, so you would carry me and make sure I'd get in and out of grocery carts and to the store. And you were just always that like main protector for me and disability advocate, even at such a young age. Yeah. I don't know how I became a disability advocate, but I remember I would like go talk to parents and like speak to, like I'd be like eight and I'd be like, okay, Mr. Smith, your daughter isn't acting 
appropriate on a playground with my brother who is disabled and I would just like lay it out for them. And I'm like, how the fuck did I know what to even say? How did you know what to even say? Yeah, you were just definitely always kind of looking looking over and making sure that I was protected. Yeah, but you not having a wheelchair was wild. Like, there was this sense in our family, and it kind of reminds me of this, like, toxic positivity vibe. Like, you see it a lot of in spiritual communities where everyone's like, well, it's all going to work out, and again, just at the end... It all, everything happens for a reason. Just smile. And I feel like it was so fucking pounded into our head not to feel emotions, not to act like you were disabled, not to dwell on the past, um, and not to bring up anything that we might need to work on as individuals or as the family as a whole. Yeah, I think, um, so I'm the oldest um, grandson um, and our, and our family. And I think like, um, just kind of coming from the family that we have, um, who's like really into like race cars and like iron work and, uh, all, the, all these like super, don't, <laughs> super, I'm, don't uh, shout out these things. I hate them. <laughs> I think, it, you know, it, I kind of just had this responsibility as the first male grandchild to, kind of fit into these norms of what my family wanted to kind of continue quote-unquote continue their legacy and I'm none of that actually and um neither of us were neither of us are and um I definitely felt this sense that my disability was ignored yeah it was in a lot of ways and I should be clear our parents are not the ones who are building still buildings or driving race cars. Our parents were two teenage addicts that didn't fit into the norms of their family either, of the family we came in. It's like very conservative, very Republican, very um, straight, white, and... Fake Christian. Fake Christian. Nobody believed in God till like Trump. And then it was like. (laughs) I think it was George W. Bush. Okay, George W. Bush. But whatever. (laughs) We weren't taught about God at all. Mom was like crazy about spirituality sometimes. And she'd tell me like dead people are in the house. And like that she could talk to dead people. And. She would pull me out of the shower. I remember one time she pulled me out of the shower crying. And she was like, the world's going to end. The world's going to end today. Like, don't use so much water. So that was probably drugs. But I... (laughs) Yeah, um, it's going to be my first guess. (laughs) Um, But I also think there was an element of her connecting to her own spiritual power. Like... You associate with our Republican family way more than I do. Like, I feel like so much of my childhood was when we were with mom and being, like, extremely physically and mentally abused and neglected in that. And then by the time we got with our other family, I felt like they had they had so much against me already because I kind of look like mom and I kind of sound like her. And they were just like, oh, she's she's a fucking piece of trash. She's going to end up pregnant 
in high school and they were just very dismissive of me and very much not helpful towards you in like getting you resources for physical disability and even when you were little like our drug addict parents you were just like in a way I think it hurt us right that they were kind of acting like you weren't experiencing anything and in a way it almost feels like it helped because we we got so good at surviving I think it's very much the idea that our wound is our gift and for you like there was such a huge wound of people not giving you the support you needed and deserved, like by getting you a wheelchair when you were little or therapy, physical therapy. But then at the same time, you are so magnetic and strong-willed and such a survivor that, yeah, what do you feel about it? Well, I just remember it feeling like so purposeful, like in the sense that like growing up like for for whatever reason I didn't even have a wheelchair um I would get around like in this wagon oh the red wagon this wagon like all throughout like this like whole elementary school but not only that that's so fucking weird I haven't thought about that the red wagon but not only that like also I think they had, like, some kind of teacher's aide who they, like, hired to, like, literally pull me around in a wagon all day when really I could have just, like... Had a wheelchair? Had an electric wheelchair. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that wagon, and you were, like, boxed in it. Yeah. And you'd have, like, a blanket and, like, a toy, and I would pull you in that fucking wagon all the time and then carry you in and out of the wagon. I didn't realize, like all of the physical labor we were all doing when you deserve to have something designed for you. Yeah. So. I mean, I know we were like poor, but it's like, it's so interesting. Our family like builds cars and builds buildings and they're so disconnected from us and they're so dismissive of our issues. Yeah. That there was never any like, let's build this for you or design this for you. It was like we were orphans that got to live in their house for a while is sort of how I feel. Yeah, so kind of like in elementary school, I remember kindergarten through like second grade. I had like a wagon that some kind of teacher's assistant pulled me in. And then it evolved into like this three-wheeled electric scooter, which is kind of like similar to those that you see at like a Target or a Walmart. And then... I just remember, like, this one time, I I don't know, maybe somebody was, like, saying that maybe my scooter wasn't sufficient for me anymore as I was growing, and so um, my grandma told me that we were going to get an electric wheelchair, and I was like, what? Like, I think even at, like, that time, like, I didn't even see myself as disabled. Yeah. I think you cried and I think you were like sad about getting the wheelchair and I was like no this is gonna help you but it was kind of like fuck you guys I don't need it because because you I was told that like yeah you were told your whole life oh it's fine or he's just like everyone else and you know which is it fucks with your reality it fucks with your reality and it's also 
just a way to like dismiss any feeling or connection to a disability or caring for a disabled person. Yeah, it's bypassing. It's bypassing and it's not holding space. There's such this weird tendency of like, oh yeah, you're doing great. And it's like, I feel like you're such a good example of what what like distant positivity can do to hurt someone. It was under the guise of like, oh yeah, we're being positive, but no one was actually taking care of you. And I literally felt like if I didn't take care of you that we were going to die. Yeah, and like for me, I didn't really see like that big picture of like we're going to die, but it was definitely weird. Like the first sense I had was like, finding out that I was going to actually get a power wheelchair, realizing that I was disabled, and then kind of growing up when, like, everybody started driving, and I thought I didn't even realize that, like, I wasn't going to be able to drive a standard car um, as an adult. Yeah, in a way, I feel like you were just being gaslit and, like, told that you lived in a certain reality. Right. And then that reality wasn't showing its truth for you. And I feel like, all I could do is hear everyone around us lying. So I'd be like, this isn't true. Jordan needs this. And it would cause screaming fights. Yeah. And then like, I tried to like roll with like kind of what they were saying. And like, I would say things like, Oh, I'm going to like go get a job because most 15, 16 year olds um, start thinking about that. And then I remember our grandfather saying like, well, like, how are you going to work at McDonald's? Like, you can't reach the counter or you can't, you know, reach out a drive through window. Like, how are you ever going to be able to, like, do this? Which was so counteractive to, like, how I was brought up by that person the, the last 10 years of my uh, childhood. Yeah, that's it's such a mind fuck. Because it was like, yeah, you can do whatever you want. And then they would go turn on the TV and shut their doors. Right. And, and then you thought you could do whatever you want. And then you realized like you physically can't do everything you want. Yeah. And it was very lonely. It was very hard to deal with the fact that, oh, I was told that I'm just like everyone else my entire childhood. And then, bam, I'm growing up. And I I am disabled. And, and how do I deal with that shock, you know, as a 16-year-old male um, who's already dealing with, like, puberty and um, God knows what else, you know, 16-year-olds deal with. Well, and you came from extreme physical trauma. And you came from extreme, like, mental and emotional trauma, too. So to figure out oh shit, I'm disabled, I'm a 16-year-old, and reality is completely different than my grand... It's almost like our grandparents like hit us in a room and it was like, yeah, you guys are going to be fine. <laughs> you got this. <laughs> you got this. We know you do. There's some food in the fridge, uh, maybe, some like wheat thins, and they would go to a restaurant every night yeah like this really greasy spoon diner every single night that was our dinner and i decided to stop going because i was like i need to bring nutrition into my body and i can't fucking play these games at this greasy spoon diner and our grandpa loved to go so he could flirt with the waitresses 
the whole time. <laughs> and me and my brother were like, we knew exactly what was happening. We were like, this is, this is a joke. Creepy. <laughs> Very creepy. What, like, we like had our birthday parties there too. That's so sad. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there was very much a sense of like, I have to get the fuck out of here and I have to do whatever I can to make sure you, my brother, you survive in this world too, like without me. Because I was ready to like get a one-way ticket the fuck out of that town. Because on the outside, our grandparents looked way more normal than our parents who were doing drugs. But inside, we could tell they were the ones who raised our mom. And I think in some ways, we could feel the pain that mom must have felt. Did you feel that at all? Uh, Yeah, I definitely could see the source of um, some parenting issues from our mother that is rooted into our grandparents' style of raising a family, (laughs) unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they ever raised anyone. I think it was very much, you got this. Do you feel like um, you manifested anything as a teenager? Do you feel like you were tapped into that at all? Yeah, I definitely did. Do you feel like that? I think, I think, forgive me, because I was a child who knew nothing about politics, but I remember having this <laughs> seminar, um, or not this seminar, like this kind of assembly in elementary school and this like really cool guy who I really wanted to be friends with said he wrote the president Bill Clinton at the time (laughs) a letter and Bill Clinton President Bill Clinton sent him a bike (laughs) and I was like I got this like I'm like in a wheelchair and like I'm disabled I got one hand like I'm going to write the president, which unfortunately at the time was George W. Bush, this like sap story about <laughs> how I am like disabled and like how I look up to him so much and how my dream is to like go to Disney World. And I'm like, <laughs> like George W. Bush is like going to get me a trip to Disney World. And, like that was like my ultimate goal at the time. And, uh, that's hilarious. All politics aside. <laughs> yeah, that is so hilarious. I remember coming home from school and my grandma's like, we have all, we, we have this huge white envelope from the White House in Washington. And it's addressed to Jordan. <laughs> and like nobody like even knew I knew like what a fucking stamp was, much less like writing the president. <laughs> I didn't tell anybody about it. Uh, my grandmother was like a secretary for like our family business. So she like had stamps and stuff. So I just like hand wrote it and stamped it up myself. And then I actually got like the signed autograph from like George W. Bush and Laura Bush. <laughs> they just sent you a bunch of selfies, essentially. It was, like selfies <laughs> with like these signatures. It was, it was super weird. I mean, I don't think I actually read the letter. Yeah, you have always been in these situations you work at Target now, and you've always been in these situations. Um, I work in a large retail store. <laughs> where you have, have like, extraordinary experiences. So we're, like, in a house with our parents, and we're, like, 
barely getting fed. <laughs> Legitimately, unless it's like instant mashed potatoes from like the diner. No, I mean our parents' house. Oh yeah. Yeah, so that was you're a whole always on the story. Yeah, you're always on the timeline of us living with the, our grandparents and I'm always on the timeline of our parents. Yeah, well, the parents that isn't my best memory, so I think I try to push that down. Yeah. Um, but we weren't being fed then. And I remember, do you remember dad taking us to the Broncos training camp? Yes. Unfortunately, (laughs) I do. I think this is actually the root of why I hate football so much. (laughs) What do you remember about it? Please continue. I'd like to relive this with you. (laughs) No, what do you remember of it? Oh my God. I remember... Going in, like, his, like, shitty Geo Metro, like, down this, like, very large freeway (laughs) with no air conditioning, him smoking a ton of pot, like, down the road and, like, drinking a beer at, like, 9 a.m. to go down to, like, downtown Denver to this, like, stadium to watch the Broncos practice. Yeah, and Dad carried you around... To show the Broncos, like, that you don't have an arm? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Holy shit. And then they all came, and I remember, like, John Elway and Terrell Davis were there, and they all came and, like, sat with you and were, like, holding you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It was fucking weird. And Dad was, like, drunk and high, and he was like, let's get them to sign this. Let's get them to sign that. We're going to be rich. We're going to be rich, you guys. I think they were trying to sell autographs <laughs> and using my disability as a... Yeah. I mean, they were. The... Yeah. The exploitation. I remember that. Like, I just remember that. Like, fuck, he's got one arm, but he still does all this. It's so interesting and weird. Yeah. I have, like, zero memories of my father, so... Or I probably do. I just ignore them. So when this comes up, it's like reading the next chapter in my very deranged autobiography. It's not deranged. It's not deranged. You just have experienced a lot of fucking physical, mental, and emotional pain and some probably some other pains in there too. But I remember also I was like, I don't know how old I was if you we were carrying you. I was probably like five or six. And he was like, Lacey, you need to pick up your brother. You need to like... He said we had to all take turns and it had to be even. So I'm like six carrying <laughs> you. Yes, this is a true story, everyone. <laughs> and I'm just hearing it for the first time, but it's in my memory. I remember his sister was there too. And and she was like, you need to carry your brother more. And I was just happy people were paying attention to me. And they're like, oh, yeah, Lacey, you're so strong. Big girl, good job. And I was like, oh, I'm doing a good job. Someone likes me. So just carrying you around. Yeah, but you always made sure that I got, that I, that I missed out on um, as few experiences as possible. You always made sure that, like, I could get there despite, like, hills or valleys or rocks or, <laughs> you always made it work. You always made sure I was included. I couldn't fathom a world where you couldn't be there also. It doesn't make sense to me still. I think a lot of people don't realize that even in 2020, there's a lot of spaces that aren't fucking built for anyone who has any sort of disability. 
Yeah, so I live um, near Boulder, Colorado. So I actually live in a very like progressive county. But, you know, if I go and visit like on a road trip, like even in Kansas or Wyoming or some of the following states, like I may not have a restroom that I can use or I may not, you know, have a wheelchair access into that building. And just because some buildings are ADA compliant, that doesn't mean that it's compliant. It's not one size fits all. Yeah. There's no way to make sure that everyone is included under that. Yeah. You've always been magical, though. Like, I just remember tons of people being drawn to you and you manifesting the wildest shit. And there was something about when you got that envelope from the White House that it was like, I felt like you were like, well, I didn't get my fucking trip to Walt Disney, but you got selfies of George W. (laughs) And then you knew you could do anything. Yes. Thank you, George W. Bush. Shout out. (laughs) Um, Did you think I was magic when we were little? How did you feel about me being a witch? And how did you feel about the energy readings and stuff? Um, so I just remember feeling a little bit confused by it and just kind of like playing along with it. So, uh, (laughs) the first way that she told me that she like had any kind of power was, uh, describing it as rubber guts. And I didn't actually know what that meant at the time. I just kind of went along with it. She definitely had this like sixth sense of like knowing, knowing things, ahead of time and do you feel like you're magical at all I feel like as I get older um, I'm starting to realize a little bit of the powers I have I I definitely haven't tapped into them as much as you obviously but yeah I do feel like I have like a really strong intuition and I feel like I have talked to people who are passing or who have passed Mostly in my medium dream. shape. Mostly in dreams at night. Yeah, I feel like you're definitely like that's astral traveling, and I think you're definitely hold powers of being a medium. Like you definitely talk to dead people, and I do not want to do that. I don't think I hate when people are like, "Well, I haven't done dug into magic as much as you, Lacey, so I might not be as magical, or I haven't done it as longer." Blah, blah, blah. I think we've been doing magic since we were babies, me and you. And I think we've been doing it together in a lot of ways. Um, And I think you are incredibly magic. And I think we come from magic, too. But I think everyone in our family has so much trauma in their own lives that they can't, like, even begin to be real. And I think with magic, there's an aspect of you have to be real you have to be able to feel all of your emotions and tune into that intuition. And that takes a level of honesty within self that I feel like our family is not super comfortable for, with. I know I definitely used magic when I would try to protect you as a little person. Do you remember the bunk beds when we lived in, had the same room and we had bunk beds? Yeah. I would make that into my altar. I just didn't know to call it an altar at the time. I feel like altars are so important for every magical person because we have to have a place to ground, to anchor 
our magic for magic rituals to arise and to occur from them. Yeah, and so you'd make like something similar to a fort and that would definitely be what was the word you used? Altar. Altar, yes. Um, and I would get crystals and feathers and like spiritual dolls and make my own dolls. I would put them all throughout like the cracks on the corners of the bunk bed and I would like do magic in there and we could hear our mom and dad outside like beating each other up or throwing pots and pans and I have a poem about this but I remember even like feeling like the pots and the pans in the background were like drums to yours and mine's like greater song. Like it felt like they were fighting, but that we were vibrating on a different frequency than them. Like even as a little person, it didn't feel like we were like, I just didn't think we were like them. I remember being like four and looking at them, like beating the shit out of each other and being like, these guys are dumb. Yes. And I felt like we were just smarter and we had some sort of protection around us. Did you feel that at all? Yeah, I felt the disgust of alcohol, mostly. And, like, knowing, like, how shitty it was, even at, like, age seven. I know. I remember, like, mom would come home and I'd be like, God damn it, she's been drinking again. Remember, we could, like, smell it. You could smell it. You could see it in her eyes. You could see how her hair was parted. And, like, you could just tell it was, like, a whole other level. It might be um, hard for you guys to imagine, but the the woman I come from has big, wild, curly, crazy hair. And it spoke. It was like its own entity that spoke to me and my brother. And how my mom's hair was, we could tell how much abuse we might endure based on how fucking nuts she was going to be then. Yeah, that's a very good way to describe it i remember one time so she would like bartend and do work late at night and we wouldn't really know where she was or what she was doing or if she was actually working yeah and you were so little and i remember like taking care of you and like getting you ready for bed and putting you to bed and i put you to bed in mom's bed because sometimes you would sleep in there Cause you'd get scared and even though she wasn't there, I'd like put you to bed there and I would go into my room and then she like came home and you went missing and we couldn't find you. And we were like <laughs> looking for your face right now is why I'm laughing. It's like we were looking for you and she was like screaming and crying and being dramatic. And then she just kind of like passed out. And I was searching the whole house for you and I was like talking to my guides and talking to spirits and just being like, where did Jordan go? And she just like took you, picked you up and put the house had three bathrooms that we were in that at that point. And she took you up and put you into a bathroom at the house in the bathtub. And you were like little and you just like kind of fell asleep and you were like confused of why you were in the bathtub. And she put you in the bathtub and shut the curtain and like left and all your clothes were on. I don't know. Random story. I just 
remember so many weird things like that happening and me just like almost feeling like the adults were getting away, getting in the way of me raising you and being like, could you just fucking leave him alone? Yeah, I definitely felt that energy. Yeah. Um, but I loved being on the trampoline with you. Yeah, I think some of our best childhood memories were on the trampoline. Yeah. Especially when it rained. Totally. What do you remember about it? Big rainstorm and, and jumping I, really like a lot higher. I was always creating a different world. Like as far as I was concerned, we weren't really living in that world with our parents. Even though we definitely are, and even as a 31-year-old, and a you're about to be 30, 29, you're about to be 29. Yeah, 29. It's just weird, because right now, there's a gap, and I'm three years older than you. It's practically 30. Yeah. Um, but we would create such crazy, imaginative worlds all the time. And I was so intense about it. I'm like, okay, you're the baker who lives down the street. You are the witch from the woods. You don't have a husband. You were divorced and you have two stepchildren. And I would just like give all these characters to us. Sometimes we'd play multiple characters. Do you remember playing like that nonstop? Yeah, I do. I just remember like all performing. What about performing? Like creating performances. Yeah, nonstop. Whether it's a play or like some kind of like performance or like um, a pretend music video. So imagination, we would definitely create our own worlds. And I feel like a response to my trauma was like um, hiring myself as a full-time choreographer, creative director. (laughs) (laughs) Slash cheer coach. Why the cheer coach? I just remember you uh, reenacting a lot of scenes from Bring It On. Fuck you. (laughs) Don't tell that to the world. Oh, my bad. And Practical Magic. Practical Magic and Bring It On. And what's the other one we always used to do? Gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we were raised movie. by the Disney Channel. If we had the Disney Channel, if we had enough money for the Disney Channel, we were definitely raised by the Disney Channel. And I felt like we got our morals from that. And we would just like act out movies. I feel like part of being able to read energy now is because I can tap so deep into the other characters. Like I did feel. Like, I could become other people, and that so could you. And I remember, like, looking at our family and knowing that there was so much more than them. That, like, this world was bigger than them. And just feeling like I was smarter. Do you remember when mom married um, that one guy? (laughs) Who she was married to? Our stepfather. I would never call him that, nor did I call him that. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, you you saw him as a stepfather. I saw him as like a 23-year-old. Monster. Yeah, kind of. But now that I'm old, he probably had a lot of his own trauma and mental illness. But I remember him crying and being like, I think you're smarter than me, Lacey. And I was like 11, and I was like, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's very evident. Um, what are some w- techniques or something you use to be able to tap into manifestation or to talk to dead people? 
I think kind of having a clear mind. So, um, stretching and like listening to like calm music is really how I can just like kind of have a clear mind and kind of listen to other people's energy. Yeah. You're really good at boundaries. I think your boundaries help you manifest. I think like you take space for yourself and that helps you manifest. But I also feel I like... I definitely have to be like in a relaxed environment. Yeah. But also I think you just sort of decide you want something and you don't let other people interfere. Like I think you get like these own... You're like up to something in a way. You're like, oh, this guy got a bike from Bill Clinton. I'm going to go to Walt Disney World, bitches. <laughs> Suck it. And then you just do. And I think there's a sense about me, too, where I don't sit and, like, ohm and do manifestations from a place of meditation on a temple. Like, oftentimes I manifest because I'm just, like, going. And I just, like, feel it and believe it in my body. And then it just occurs. You know, I don't think it's something, like, rigid or even super soft and spiritual always. Sometimes it can just be like constantly thinking about what you want to happen or or where you want to be. Yeah. And I feel like what you're good at is like you start researching it right away. Like you take action right away. You research it. You start doing it. I think you're really good at living as if it's happening. And I think you've done that your whole life, like as far as like your body and being disabled or not, you just sort of live as if it is. Yeah. Kind of when I realized like when I was like in my early 20s, like I really wanted to like vacation and like go to different places and see different things, especially after I turned 21 and like realizing that we were like never going to get that from like our family other than going to like where our relatives are from, which is, like, in the middle of the North Dakota. <laughs> um, oh, I really just, like, want to go to Vegas, or I really want to go to, like, California and, and, like, do a TV show. And and you just fucking did it. I just knew I had to make it for myself if, or, or it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, there was almost a point of, like, Jessa calls it have to. Like, you had to. Or it wasn't going to happen. There's like a sense of almost a little bit of desperation in it. Of like, you're like, I'm going to travel. And you did just end up going to LA. And you were on a huge TV show. And you're like, I want to party in Vegas. And everyone else's, my grandma's like, how is he going to get his wheelchair around? And like, everyone else is just like shocked. Never been to Vegas. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And you just did it. Right. At nightclubs till three in the morning or... Yeah. And I love that you like, you don't like force morals or ethics in it. You're just like, I'm going to fucking, what I'm manifesting right now is some good ass parties. And like part of it too was like living in like a small town where they like don't have clubs and whatnot. So like if I couldn't like convince like a DD and my friends to like go to the club, it was more economical and accessible for me to like literally fly to las vegas and stay at like a hotel strip hotel like and i could just go wherever i wanted totally but manifesting parties at 22 was basically my main goal 
I think it makes so much sense that you were partying in Vegas as a manifestation just because being queer in Longmont, Colorado, being disabled in Longmont, Colorado with her family who are so fucking shut off to their own emotions, to their own sexual identities, to their own feelings. I think it was like a beautiful manifestation. How did you feel about it when you were doing it? Did you kind of see it as magic? Yeah. And I remember like arriving in Vegas for the first time by myself and calling you and I'm like, oh my God, I'm here. Like, what the fuck am I doing? (laughs) You loved it though. Yeah. I was very scared at the beginning though. What were you scared of? Oh, just like being in a big city by myself or am I going to like lose my wallet and my ID and not be able to fly back or. But you had already done it in LA quite a bit. Yeah, but there was a different gap and. Like this, when I went to Vegas, there was like alcohol and stuff involved. And yeah, I remember partying. being very scared for you. And it was very much a feeling for me like you leaving the nest, even though you're only two years younger. It's like I have to like let you live your own life. And I think I'm fine with it now. But I think yeah. there was a period where I was like, oh no, is he going to be okay? I remember when you went to LA and you were partying with. Chelsea Handler and Blake Shelton and you sent me a picture of you drunk making out with Blake Shelton (laughs) do you still have that picture no I I don't know where that is no (laughs) and you were with Miranda Lambert too right yeah it was super weird because you just manifest the most wild things like 19 I thought was like when he was on the voice and stuff that's hilarious I just think you literally (sighs) manifested that you were very celebrity based you loved celebrities because you didn't have the option like other kids to like go on a hike or play a sport or whatever. So you were very much were like celebrity gossip, celebrity based. But I think it affected your magic like in a cool way. Yeah, I definitely think that like having like the idea of like to escape, you know, quote unquote, escaping to Hollywood or escaping to Las Vegas and like seeing like art and like a different experience um regard and like different people like regardless of where you came from is like very humbling and exciting especially at like age 21 it's so cool and i feel like a lot of people who come from trauma have the hollywood escape reality you know the celebrity escape reality or like manifestation and i wonder is like covid all the stuff with covid and like the death of celebrity and kind of like everyone's moving out of la if something like that is going to exist or it's just the complete death of celebrity what do you think well i think it's definitely like evolving from like you know jennifer aniston you know at one point now it's just like you know the most famous TikToker at the moment to who has the best Instagram photo, you know? It's so wild, but it's such a beautiful, like... Like anybody can have it at this point. Yeah, more of an even playing field, which I'm so surprised you're not on it more because you've always kind of been in that world. Yeah, I've definitely evolved from that. and Yeah, but I think you still kind of like it in a way. I think everyone shamed you for a while for like liking celebrities. I shamed you. I was like, come on, we need to work on your spirituality. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I'm like, 
oh, but I'm Team Jen, you know? <laughs> that was my main focus. Team who? <laughs> Jennifer Aniston. Are you talking about... Versus I, Angelina. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Growing up. Yeah. No, you you were very in it, but now I understand, like, that was part of your coping mechanism yeah, for trauma. escape. But I just wanted you to feel like... I was, like, into, like, studying different religions and different arts, and I just wanted you to, like, have a taste of that. And you're like, oh, are you going to fucking make me listen to poetry again? <laughs> Yep. <laughs> and I was like, don't you understand what this poem is really saying? And I'm like, don't you understand that I am going to party with little John this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> uh, and I'm really sad you never came to the strip club when I was working there. Yeah. And well, really, like, it really makes me sad. I think you just didn't go because there were like nipples, but like you would have loved it. <laughs> it was like way less sexual than I think you realize. And also extremely sexual. Sometimes people will be getting jacked off in the corner, but <laughs> yeah, not the best environment, especially with my sister. <laughs> but it's just not as weird as it sounds. And there was drag bingo on Wednesday night sometimes, and I feel like you would have loved the drag bingo. <laughs> um, okay, it's been awesome talking to you. Do you want to tell the world a little bit about your magic at all before you go? Or are we ready to skedaddle? Uh, yeah, I think I'm ready to skadoodle. I love you. Um, check out my art on <laughs> at Jordy T Photography. That's J O R D Y T Photography. <laughs> you were ready with shameless that. Shameless plug. <laughs> no, it's not a shameless plug. People can DM you if they want to talk to you about all things disability, queer, love. What else? Yeah, I'm, I'm all ears. Mediumship. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try my best. <laughs> Okay. Um, I think you're an oracle. I come to you. You're a Scorpio. And I come to you all the time and I'm like, okay, no, tell me what this guy is really thinking about me. (laughs) And you're like, at first you're always like, I don't know. And then you like get deep into it. And I'm like, holy shit, you're better than the YouTube tarot readers. I think that like, I just feel like everybody's energy and like, I feel like I can like sense um, people's if they're genuine or not, or what if they have like ulterior motives, or yeah, I think if they're anxious, like I, I feel like I connect with anxious people like way better than most people do because I'm anxious myself. I think so much of people's anxiety is being psychically aware, like they're psychically tapped into what everyone's thinking and feeling. And it's like they're so empathic. They're holding on to so much of that in their body. And it like makes like a vibration within their own body that gives them anxiety. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I I see that with other people, but I also feel that as well. Like somebody can like, you know, say hi to me in like a slightly different tone of voice than normal. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) does she hate me? Like, did I say something? Did I... was that Zoom meeting, like, running too long? Like, what did I do wrong? And Yeah, that is that is from abuse. And when you're a little kid and you're experiencing so much abuse, you become hyper aware of everyone's emotions in the room because you're constantly gauging how safe you are. Yeah, that makes total sense. I've never really seen it that way. 
I mean, we've talked about it a little bit, but I think like... Well, it's like a good refresher. Yeah. And I think that it just like sharpens your psychic skills and your superpowers when you do have so much of that abuse. And I think we should say this is your first time doing a podcast. Yeah, it is. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) I feel truly honored. (laughs) It's so dorky. (laughs) I love you. Um, And I also should say, do you feel like I talk about our trauma a lot? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> but do you feel like we have a lot of one-on-one conversations about it? Yes. I See, I feel like we don't. I feel like I try to avoid it at all costs, but sometimes it does come up. Yeah. Eventually it all bubbles to the surface, whether you want to talk about it or not. Yeah. And I feel like we but do. I'm very grateful for that, too. Like, I've always looked to you as, like, the person that, like, I can just get that, like, no, like no filter like straight truth about you know what's happening and what the situation is and like you're not gonna like tell me or anybody else something different just to like please them like you always have like this pure raw honesty that like is so great thank you for complimenting me (laughs) horribly terrifying at times (laughs) well um, it's great when you come on my podcast and just compliment me. Thank you. <laughs> but I also feel like no one in our family was fucking telling the truth. Right. No one was telling the truth about you being disabled. No one was telling the truth about how abused we were. And it was our whole a childhood, our whole teenage years, our whole young adult life. So even as a 31-year-old, I'm still processing it i'm still trying to understand it there's still remnants of abuse that are happening today from it i think people think like when a kid's abused they turn 18 and they are supposed to be just fine now and it's like no you You got this (laughs) but don't drink a beer (laughs) for three more years um there's still so much integrating i think we spend the rest of our lives integrating the pain we've experienced especially as children and i think for us we don't always have one-on-one conversations because it became so taboo and we'd literally get in trouble or like grounded if we talked about that we were abused or if we talked about any pain we came from so i admire you for talking about your pain and your truth and you're way more magical than you're totally willing to tell the world right now. And that's okay. Because whenever you're ready, they're ready to listen. And I love you so much. And I very much feel like you've been a spiritual teacher to me and a guide for me. You're also your human design as you're a projector like me. And I feel like you're very much a guide for people in this world. And I would not be who I am without you. Love you. I love you too. That's so sweet. You can find Jordan at Jordy. Jordy T Photography. On on Instagram. Instagram. And he'll get a website up soon. And Jordan's really good at readings. I get them from him. He can tap into bodies like I can. He just doesn't want to. He's just a little nervous about it right now. So we'll give him some space and love with that. I love you guys. Thank you for existing. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Horror Pod Friends. 
If you want to book a reading with me, go to LaceyFree.com and you can book a superpower reading or a sex magic reading or a holographic healing session. If you liked this episode of Horopod, please like, subscribe, and leave me a review. You can find me on Instagram at LaceyIsFree or you can hit me up at LaceyFree.com. I can't wait to hear from you. Mwah! Lamborghini!